Hey, everyone. Before we start today's episode, we wanted to take a moment and address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. This decision has stripped away the rights to have safe and legal abortions, and it's something that we are very passionate about. Yes, everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and for their family, and that includes when is the time to end a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety, and it could have very harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. We invite you to learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. And if you're able to support others, please consider donating to the abortion funds. And thanks to Ariel Nisenblatt, the founder of Earbuds Podcast Collective, for starting this movement of podcasters making this announcement at the top of their show. In a time where people are really looking for help and looking for unity and looking to know what to do, this is an amazing movement. We appreciate her initiative to start it in order to show how many of us there are and how important this decision is to us and the importance of coming together to unify over this very important topic. So we encourage you to speak up and take care to spread the word as well. Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Talk Witchcraft podcast. In this episode, Maggie and I will be sharing stories about Artemis, Diana, and Scotty the Greek, Roman, and Norse counterpart goddesses. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft. On this podcast, we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. We're We're your your hosts, hosts, the Mystic Mystic Sisters, Sisters, Erica and Maggie. So last week we did our first rune, and again we are choosing another rune during this first segment of the show, and as we do, we look for moments in our lives that relate to this rune. For this episode, we chose Uruz, which literally means oryx or ox, and last week, like I said, we did Fehu, and that represents the domesticated cattle Uruz is the wild cattle. The aurochs were admired for their raw strength, stamina, and power. And the untamable nature of the aurochs, the sharp, deadly horns, which are represented in the shape of this rune, were a cause for healthy caution. It also indicates the wildness of the subconscious or unconscious mind within us all. And that is not without danger. So letting your decisions and interactions be guided by wisdom instead of raw, untamed, reactionary responses is probably a good idea. It's a challenge to tame your own natural instincts. So physical strength is definitely a key concept when this rune appears. So this is emotional or spiritual strength. And it's a reminder that you have strength to carry on through emotional turmoil. And it's a motivation to continue pursuing your dreams. So Erica, do you have a story about strength, endurance, and or manifestation? 
that aligns with Uru's? Yes, I do. And I, but I feel like I talk about my divorce a lot, but I feel like it was definitely one of those key memory, key turning points in my life. And so it's, it's definitely like one of those core pieces of who I am now. So I'm going to talk about it again because the decision leading up to it, I knew years earlier that it needed to happen. I was resistant to go to therapy because I knew if we started talking about it, that was the answer that was going to be said and I wasn't ready for it yet. And so I feel like the moment that I truly decided and knew that it was what needed to happen represents the arak within me because it was wild and it was dangerous and it was leaping into the unknown. It was, it was guided by wisdom. It was guided by the wisdom within myself and the wisdom around people within me, but it was definitely a reactionary response to things that had happened. And so I feel like there was that balance to knowing what my natural instinct was, but that was to get away, but taming it so that I did it the right way and in the, you know, the right steps and making sure that everything was carried out in the order that it was supposed to be carried out so that it was the easiest possible on both sides. It definitely took a lot of inner strength and it definitely was a marathon and not a sprint. And so it took a long time and I had to have that endurance to just kind of keep plodding along like a cow, like, (laughs) like they do. And so, and there is definitely a lot of like manifesting what I needed and saying things out loud and then not letting pressure of just making it easy or, and doing what was best for me and not necessarily what was best for my ex. I wanted like... For example, I wanted to give her more money because I knew that she was poor, but I also knew that I didn't have that money to give. So I was already giving of myself to help her. And so there's really standing by those intentions and those manifestations so that I could do what was best for me. When I'm thinking of the runes, I feel like they're more um, like the tarot's major arcana than the minor arcana. They have these like big themes. And I think that's probably part of why you your divorce is coming up because it's a big life theme. So yeah, it's it's a little bit, it's more like when we do the major arcana cards when we're looking at the runes, I think, than like an everyday moment. With that said, <laughs> I feel like this rune represents for me when I started really getting to know my Scorpio moon sign, because that's sort of like your inner self, your subconscious mind with all the shadow work and everything I did. Because Scorpio is such a misunderstood sign, I think. Um, It's often, I I feel like it's kind of a challenging sign to have as your moon sign, (laughs) because it's, it's not only like taboo in society, but then also your moon is taboo. So it's like a double whammy. Um, And so working through all that is I kind of feel like what this rune is about is like finding the the value in all aspects of yourself, kind of letting that untamed part of myself shine and not being ashamed of it, letting my my inner wild beast out. (laughs) So that's kind of what it's making me think of that I don't have to be a domesticated cow. I can be a wild aurochs sometimes, too. There you go. (laughs) 
<clears throat> so um I put my story down here. It also mm -hmm. has the part that sort of explains who she is at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know if we just wanted to, if we wanted to do conversational or if we just wanted you to do your part and then I'll do my part. Um, I think a little bit of both because my story is kind of like, um, I have it like who she is and what she did. And then I incorporate the stories within that. Oh, okay. And like how it became. So I feel like if like I'm telling you about her Artemis and if you have any interjections or things that you want to clarify, then we can just kind of go back. And okay. Forth. That sounds good. Okay. For the way I wrote it is um, who she is and kind of comparing her a little bit to Artemis, but not very much just a sentence. And then like who she is and then this, the one story basically about her. And then a little bit of conversation about what that story means at the end. So, mm -hmm. okay. So I think we kind of did similar, but um, okay. We'll just see how it goes. Sounds good. Um, do you want to like do a little introduction? Sure. And that we picked them because they're the goddesses of the moon mm -hmm. except scotty isn't and I, so that's kind of weird i'm not really the only reason really that she's kind of grouped in with them is because she is the goddess of hunting okay but she's not even so um but diana and artemis, artemis are goddesses yeah. of the moon yeah. okay yeah all right well i'll just i'll say it sort of so as Erica mentioned, we are talking about these three counterpart goddesses from the Greek, Roman, and Norse mythology, Artemis, Diana, and Scotty. We chose them specifically because they are the goddesses of the moon, sort of. Artemis and Diana are goddesses of the moon. Scotty sort of is. It's, she just kind of like fits in there. So we'll talk about who they are. We'll tell you a story about them. I will start by saying, so I'm going to talk about Artemis slash Diana. And when we're talking Greco-Roman gods and goddesses, they are essentially the same. The Greek came first and then the Romans came along and did, did, did what they do, which is to take over the cultures that they occupied. And they really don't have their own religious system. Their religious system seems to be take over everybody else's religious system. So I'm specifically talking about Artemis since she came first, but Diana is very much roped in with her. Her stories are Artemis's stories, and they are basically one in the same. Are you tapping something? Yes. I'll stop. <laughs> I was playing with my cord. <laughs> okay. So Artemis is the daughter of Zeus and Leto, or Leto, and she is the twin sister of Apollo. So Apollo is the god of the sun, and Artemis is the goddess of the moon. And so they each hold dominion, dominion over the day and the night and guard their respective territories. Most stories depict Artemis as being born first. And she caused no pain to Leto, and this earned her the title of the goddess of childbirth. And then after she was born, she became midwife to Leto and helped to birth her twin brother Apollo, which gave her the title of the goddess of midwifery. So childbirth and midwifery. There is a hymn written by Callimachus, which is where we hear of 
Artemis sitting on as a young child, still a little maid in the hymn, and she spake these words to her sire. So basically, she asked Zeus to grant her six wishes. So the first was to always remain a virgin. Second, to have many names to set her apart from her brother Apollo, which I will speak of later. She wanted to be the face for face pora, poria, face poria, or light bringer. So I think that's how she got her dominion over the moon. She wanted a bow and arrow and a knee length tunic so that she could hunt. She wanted to have 60, in quotes, daughters of Okeanos, and they would be her choir. So they would just follow around singing songs. And then for 20 nymphs as her handmaidens to watch over her dogs and bow while she rested. She didn't want any study dedicated to her. She didn't need anybody to worship her, which of course, you know, didn't happen. She got lots of virgin worshipers. She wanted to rule the mountains and to help the women in the pains of childbirth. So she just wanted to frolic in the forest and go hunting all the time. Your classic tomboyish young lass. So what I find interesting about her three wishes, which were all granted to her, she asked to have many names. And so this is where all of the different confusions over who the goddess of the moon is. There is Artemis, there is Diana, there is Selena, and there's Hecate, who are all manifestations, some believe, of Artemis as the goddess of the moon. And I also wonder if we can't loop Scotty in on that desire to have many names. The hymn of Callimachus goes on to talk about how she got all of her things that would she would need to be this huntress that she wants to be. She got her bow and arrows from the Isle of Lipara, where Hephaestus and the Cyclops worked. She went and found her nymph friends to help her with the hunt. And they all also practiced celibacy and were all virgins as well. And there is many a story of one of her followers deciding that they didn't want that anymore and Artemis getting mad and turning her into some sort of tree or something. <laughs> she guarded her, her virginity and the virginity of her nymphs and followers very, very closely. And then she was given seven female dogs by Pan. And then she captured six golden horned deer to pull her chariots. So those are all of her various accoutrements that she has as her symbols. So she, like I said, she's got lots of stories about protecting her chastity and virginity. And most of them end up with the man violating her in some way and she gets mad and turns them into an animal and <laughs> then goes and hunts them down. So <laughs> well, I love that for her. <laughs> but I think the story that I will tell you is about Artemis and Orion. 
Orion was a handsome huntsman born in the regional unit of ancient Greece called Boeotia. One day while hunting in the forest, Orion saw the young and beautiful Artemis who was also out for a hunting session. Before long, they became each other's hunting companions. Hunting together, they challenged each other to races and archery contests. At night, they set a campfire and told each other about their lives. And in this story, it's Apollo who's protecting her. However, Apollo, the twin brother of Artemis, grew possessive and disapproved of their friendship due to the fear that her sister might fall in love with Orion and marry him despite her vows of chastity. Therefore, Apollo hatched a plan to end their friendship and set a giant scorpion, big eyes, (laughs) to kill Orion. In case you don't know, the scorpion is Scorpio. Of, of the zodiac. In the middle of the night, a great battle ensued and the creature backed the mortal towards the sea. Apollo visited his sister and lied about how the evil man raped Opos, one of her Hyborian priestesses, and she and was swimming to a distant island hoping to escape her wrath. Enraged and furious with anger, Artemis sped down to the sea and loosened her arrow with unerring aim to, to slay Orion. Soon she realized her mistake and with great sadness, she put Orion's body among the constellation as a tribute to their magic friendship. And as I was looking through all of her stories, she's responsible for a lot of the constellations. Mm-hmm. She put Orion up there and, and Scorpio. There was another one that I'm not remembering because there's so many. Is it Castor and Pollux? Probably. In Scotty's story, she's responsible for that one. What's that one? Gemini. Oh, yes, that might be it. Well, that would be a similarity. Uh huh. Yes. So the other one that she uh, put in the sky was in her story with Callisto. Callisto was one of Artemis's nymph handmaidens, and she fell in love with some dude. It doesn't say in the story, which I guess is good. And Artemis got really mad and expelled the nymph for the group. Callisto gave birth to a son and Artemis transformed him into a bear. After she killed the bear, she put him in the sky. So it's Uversi? Yes. Anyway, that is what we know about Artemis, the goddess of the moon and the hunt. And then Scotty is the Artemis counterpart in Norse mythology, mainly, as far as I can tell, because she also hunts. There's not really that many associations with the moon for Scotty, but she does, well, we'll get to it, but in her story, she longs for the call of the wolf, and the wolf howls at the moon, and so that could be part of it, and also the the wild animal. So there are definitely comparisons there. In Norse mythology, Skadi was the one who did all the hunting for the Asgardians, and the Midgardians prayed to her for better aim when they were about to shoot an animal for food. So that was kind of her role. She also rules over the winter, the snow, and survival. She's almost always discussed as carrying or wearing snowshoes, a hunting bow, and skis, and her name is likely linked to the word for Scandinavia, or the word Scandinavia, which is in the higher latitudes of the earth. That's the region. And winter is a big deal there. So she's kind of a big deal. (laughs) When you compare this to the sunny Mediterranean region where the Greek and Roman stories are set, this kind of explains why she has this other domain where, where Artemis might not have that. 
Scotty is also likely connected. The word Scotty is also likely connected with either a root word that means harm or another branch of words that leads to the word shadow. Those are kind of the harsh winters of the Scandinavian region. And she kind of was encompassing of those things. So um, there's this harshness we saw with the story of Artemis as well. So that makes sense too, that she was bringer of vengeance over people who did wrong. Scotty is actually a giantess and not a goddess. She's not a resident of Asgard. She's a resident of Jotunheim. And she's the daughter of Thiazi, who is another giant. She gets the title of goddess and she's the only giant to have to receive this title when she marries Njord, the god of the sea. And that's the story that I'm going to tell you, is the story of their marriage. So there's actually two parts to the story. And the first part, she's not even in, but it leads to the next part. So we have to set the stage. (laughs) One evening, Odin, Honir, and Loki were wandering in the forest, and they decided to stop and cook dinner. They found a spot to rest near a tree where an eagle perched in a high branch. The ox that they were planning to eat wouldn't cook, and little did they know, but the eagle was actually Thiazi, a giant who could take the form of a bird, and he was preventing the food from cooking as a trick. Then Thiazi spoke to them and said that he would help them cook the food if they would share it with him, and they agreed. When the food was cooked, Thiazi flew away, taking three quarters of the meat instead of the quarter that was promised to him, but Loki was holding onto the meat too and was taken along for a ride. So then when Thiazi discovered Loki, who was scared and holding on for dear life, Thiazi told him that he would let Loki go back down to Earth if Loki would take him to Eden to her apples of immortality. So Loki agreed to this, took him to Eden, and then Thiazi stole Eden away from her home and took her apples with him to Jotunheim where all the giants could benefit from the immortality that the apples grant. But all the gods in Asgard were beginning to age, and so they really wanted to bring Eden back with her apples. And so they ordered Loki to go and get her, to rescue her and bring the apples back from Jotunheim. Loki took the form of a hawk and flew to Jotunheim. He turned Eden into an acorn and carried her back with him in his talons. But Thiazi, in the form of an eagle, followed. And the gods knew that this would be the case. They knew that the giants wouldn't let them take back Eden without a fight. So they built this huge pyre at the walls of Asgard, and they waited to light it until Loki was inside with Eden as in the acorn form. And then Thiazi flew over it just as it ignited, and he was burned to death. At this point, the gods were not worried about any repercussions of killing this giant because he had no sons, only a daughter called Skadi. But they were wrong to underestimate her because she was a formidable woman. And when she heard of her father's death, she put on armor, she brought weapons, and she came to Asgard, where they must have been very frightened of her because they told her she could marry any of the gods of her choice. The catch was that she could only see their feet before making her decision. And she wanted to choose Balder because he is the most handsome of the gods. And he th- and she thought that his feet must be the most pleasant to look at because the rest of him was very pleasant. So when she found the most pleasant looking feet, she chose thinking it was Balder and it was actually Njord who rolls over the sea. And there's some stuff about Loki tying his testicles to a goat in order to make Scotty laugh and Odin throwing Thiazi's eyes into the sky where they became Castor and Pollux. But I didn't really understand that. So that's all you get. <laughs> And then Scotty and Njord were married. They already had homes, though, because they, they're independent people. 
or gods and giant. And so they agreed to keep their homes and they would just move back and forth between the two homes. Scotty hated being at the seaside home and longed to hear the howling wolves of her own home in the mountains. And Njord hated the mountain home, longing for the cries of the gulls at sea. And eventually they divorced. And that's really the end of the story. <laughs> and the book that I was reading is called Njord and Scotty, A Myth Explored. It's by Sheena McGrath. Her discussion of it, she, she wrote this book because for one thing, there's not very much about Scotty. This is really like there's four texts that talk that have this myth in some form. And she was confused by it because ending in a divorce is weird. It doesn't seem like there's a moral lesson here. So she was kind of trying to figure out what it was about this story that why were people telling it? And so the whole book, I didn't read the whole thing, but I read sections of it to learn. And um, basically she said that it was kind of a myth about the laws of setting up a home and why you shouldn't be separated. And also the laws of forming a couple where people actually have interests in common. Mm. <laughs> so um, because these two people, these, this god and this giant were very different people, they obviously didn't get along. She also said that it's designed to say that it's okay to get divorced and to be separated if you don't have things in common. That like this happened. So, <laughs> yep. Well, and so that kind of lends to her relation to Artemis and Diana in a sense of Artemis ruled over the mountains. Um, she didn't she didn't want a city in her name. She just wanted to live in the mountains. And then also relates to the moon and cancer and the season that we're in, because if you know, we talked about the fourth house of the zodiac being the one of home. And so if her story is about setting up your home and making sure that you're with the people that you want to be with and that your family is um, important. I, I could see that. I could see the correspondence and the connection. Yeah. Well, and the fact that Artemis was single and a virgin forever and Scotty, we don't know if she was a virgin or not, but she certainly wasn't married her whole life because she did get a divorce. So there's that connection as well. So it could just be that this is another version of Artemis when she went. Oh, well, that was the other thing is kind of comparing the sea and the mountains as different places that the Norse people lived at different mm -hmm. times of the year that they when the harbors froze over in the winter, they had to go inland to go hunting in the forests. And so um, so that could be another thing is like Artemis sometimes living in the mountains or living going where the food is basically yeah yeah <laughs> well and it's it's so interesting that these are such different places for the norse people that you know with with the map like with their fjords like mm -hmm. it's literally mountain and ocean the fjords are the ocean they just have to be happen to be rivers of ocean through the mountains so it, it they really do only have the two places <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so those are our two stories we're going to be sharing more stories of different greek and roman and norse gods and goddesses throughout the year depending on the zodiac season and so we hope that you enjoy this style of podcast and the reason that we chose these two and a half cultures is because they are more closely related to our own culture and we didn't want to accidentally appropriate appropriate anything and tell a story that we didn't truly understand or know and they're the ones I think both of us are the most interested in as well so yeah <laughs> <It works. laughs> 
Now we'll give you our book recommendation for the week. And this week we are recommending A History of Magic, Witchcraft, and the Occult from DK Publishing. And so it actually has quite a few authors that contributed to it. I got it as an audiobook. I think it was like a free download for a little while. And so I, that's how I discovered it. It's so much better as an actual book because as I was listening to it, I was like, I sure do wish I could see these art pieces that they're talking about. Right. Well, and any of those DK publishing books are just, they're really art books. Yeah. They're it, coffee table books, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and so you really do need the pictures. <laughs> so then when I discovered, oh, it is a picture book or a coffee table art book, I bought the regular copy and it is beautiful. It is one of the most beautiful books. There is some people in the reviews that say that it's not completely historically accurate and that it is in some ways very Eurocentric. So I would just have that caveat that, you know, that's kind of what happens a lot with these like big publishers because they're trying to, they're also trying to market it. (laughs) But even so, there's beautiful artwork and discussions about it and how it relates to the way magic was viewed throughout history in a lot of different places around the world. So now that you know the stories of these three goddesses, we are going to share with you some ideas for how to work with them in your witchcraft practice, how to correspond with them, and invite them into your spell work. For Scotty, you can correspond with her by incorporating colors that are associated with her, such as white, gray, and red. These are her colors. Crystals that are associated with Scotty include serafinite, labradorite, moonstone, clear quartz, tiger's eye, and malachite. You can also include symbols of her that we've talked about, her bow and arrow, snowshoes, a wolf or skis. You could draw a picture of these or print out a picture of these or use physical representations and use those as part of the spell work. And that would be a symbol of her to anchor her into the spell. She's associated with the rune Isa, which is the symbol of ice. And we'll talk about that later on in the podcast when we get to that rune. If you are working with her consistently, you might want to incorporate her symbols into your altar permanently, or at least during a time period when you're working with her. So anything that has to do with snow, again, she's the goddess of snow and all the other things I mentioned before. So an altar cloth that has snowflakes on it, icicles, light up icicles that you could hang around, any sort of evergreen branches or leaves. In terms of devotional activities, you can leave offerings for her. Specifically during the winter is a good time if you live in a place that has winter with snow and things like that. So, you know, leaving wine for her or dark colored teas like black tea, Vodka is associated with her, so drinking vodka beverages and winter ales or leaving those out for her as an offering. If you live in a place that has snow, you can gather snow and use it in the ritual that involves her. If you don't live in a place with snow like I do, you can use ice that your refrigerator makes or your freezer makes. Use that as a symbol of her, of Scotty. Donating to protecting natural areas in the mountains and helping to save the wolves would be other devotional activities for working with Scotty. Using incense that reminds you of the winter season, like evergreen incenses, spruce and pine, myrrh, frankincense, juniper, any of these like winter-oriented scents would be good for working with her. Gathering food from nature 
gathering food from the wild, especially berries, dark colored berries in particular, decorating your home with winter items like evergreen branches and holly berries and all of those sort of Yule type of decorations. You can use these also to correspond with Scotty. You can also work with Scotty by going into the mountains and spending time there, especially snowshoeing and skiing as these are in her dominion. If you are a hunter, hunting is also a way to work with her and specifically hunting responsibly without, you know, hurting animals just for the sake of it, actually using the animal for what you need it for, eating or the skins and things like that. Since she is in some ways associated with the moon cycle, following the moon cycle is a good way to work with Scotty. She's particularly useful when doing spell work that is for cursing, hexing, or binding because of her association with retribution and vengeance and for protection. Artemis is the goddess of the moon. So her symbols and things that you can incorporate onto her, onto an altar for her, or if you're wanting to invoke her help with something would be a bow and arrow and quiver, any sort of deer or stag, since that is considered sacred. So a little avatar of a deer or a hunting dog as well. You could use the deer if you're like reaching out for something or like as as like a target, like uh, this is what I want to get from this spell work. A hunting dog might be more if you are needing her assistance and her help since her hunting dogs are helping her. So reaching out and asking for her help. Also, if you yourself, since dog, the hunting dog, you know, represents the significance of her love of the hunt, if you are embarking on some sort of quest or journey where you're searching, hunting for something in particular, a new job, something like that, then the dog might be a better representation of what you're needing. And then of course the moon, any sort of symbolism for the moon, the phases, something that is round to pull that moon in because Artemis is a very powerful symbol of of women and of women's strength. She definitely symbolizes chastity and virginity and independence. We, We talked earlier about her role in midwifing for her mother, for her brother. So she's the goddess of childbirth. So any spell work related to uplifting women and their independence especially of young virginal girls, if we are needing to protect them in some ways. And then, of course, she's uh, great to be called upon in a childbearing room. She also is the goddess of healing and freedom. I think that in this time that we're in right now with the Roe v. Wade stuff, Artemis would be an excellent choice to call upon for protection in that sense. I, I think that childbirth piece and then the protector and patron of of young girls is something that would be a really important use of her to call her on her for. She also is considered very compassionate and kind, especially around nature and around that kind of stuff. She feels like this strong activism goddess. And so if you're needing to pull in some strength to protect the outside world as well, particularly the mountains that is her dominion, she would be good to call on for that kind of stuff as well. Her symbols for how to invoke her, her flower is the red amaranth. Her color is silver. And so having a lot of silver things on your altar would be good for that. 
I couldn't find a stone, but I'm sure that there's something out there. Silver would probably be the most obvious choice or moonstone to help represent her. This episode is brought to you by Opal. Opal can be many different colors. It's usually white, but it comes in pink, black, beige, blue, yellow, brown, orange, red, green, and purple. And it's usually a clear or milky consistency. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but (laughs) it has like an iridescence in it or a flash. It seems to like have movement in it as if it were on fire. That's kind of the appearance of it. And especially if you tilt it a little bit and it catches the light in some way. It's usually found in small amounts within the rock like matrix. You'll only find a small amount of opals. So you usually don't find like big chunks of it to make jewelry or anything out of. It's usually, you know, very small pieces. It is easily obtained even if it only comes in small pieces. They are still quite expensive, even though they are pretty prevalent. And then they are found pretty much all over the world. But the most common source is Australia, which is why when we were in Australia, our mom was adamant that she get some Australian opals. You can also find it in Mexico, Peru, and all over South America, in Britain, in Canada, the United States, Honduras, and Slovakia. So the mystical and magical properties of the opal. They help to tap into your intuition and personal power, and it can help remove any fear that you might have. You can use it in any kind of spell work or witchcraft to induce positive emotions, joy, aura cleansing, inner beauty, loyalty, spontaneity, clarity, healing, passion, eloquence, faithfulness, self-confidence, and wisdom. There are a variety of different colors because opals also have healing properties. Each different color of opal can be used for the different chakras. So you might use a black opal for the root, a fire opal, which is very orangey red for the sacral chakra, a yellow opal for the solar plexus, green or pink for the heart, Uh, an opal that is mostly blue for the throat, a mostly violent opal for the third eye, and a white or the most common of the opals that we know of for the crown. The zodiac signs that are strong with opal would be Cancer, Libra, Scorpio, and Pisces, and the planets that rule over it are the Moon, Venus, Pluto, and Neptune. It is a passive stone and it represents water and air next week we will be looking at our lives through the lens of the third rune of the elder futhark which is thurisas and this word means a thorn therefore it is about protection and also about warning it's about contemplation decisions and luck all these kinds of themes and the god Thor as well is associated with Thurisas. So we will be talking about that, looking for those themes in our lives. And if you have a story about this rune, please send us a voicemail to we listen at talkwitchcraft.com. You can find out more about this episode by going to mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash 082. Join us next week when we talk about Leo. Make sure that you are subscribed so that you are notified about each new episode and help other witches find this show by leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts.
You can also find us on Instagram at the new Instagram account at Mumbles Academy for Witches. And if you have any other tips to add, tell us about it in the Talk Witchcraft Forum in the Mumbles Academy community. And don't forget to share this episode with your witchy friends and followers. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. And this untainable. And the untainable. Why can't I talk? Because I have NyQuil in me still, probably. <laughs> yep. I'm getting better. That's good. I'm sorry that Dana is sick now. Erica, sorry that you're sick. Oh, thanks. <laughs> he says thanks. He says, oh, I thanks. I heard him, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> it makes our decision for me not to come that more of a good one because I probably absolutely would have caught it from you. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it was smart to not. Yeah.